0: One of the most liberal places in the US, both politically and theologically, is Berkeley College in Berkeley, California. We are gonna hear about what happens when you share the gospel with people on campus. Hello, Thinking Christians. Welcome to The Unapologetic Show, where we defend truth without compromise with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Today, I have a special guest with me, apologist Sean McDowell. Before I bring him in, I wanted to remind our listeners of two goals. One is helping us reach 100,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel, and the other is needing to raise $25,000 before the end of this year to help fund shows like this. So if you can help us reach either or both of those goals, we would be honored. Now, Sean McDowell is a professor at Biola University in California, apologist, author of the recent book, A Rebel's Manifesto, debater, and friend. Sean, welcome to The Unapologetic Show.
1: Tim, thanks for having me, brothers. good to be here.
0: Well, I'm looking to hear a little bit more about this book as we kind of continue this conversation, but just give us a, a brief overview of kind of what you attempt to accomplish in your most recent book.
1: Well, it's actually an update of the very first student book I wrote 17 years ago called Ethics, E-T-H-I-X. And at that point, there were minimal apologetics resources for students. And I was trying to help students think through some of the thorny issues of the day back then, war, uh, homosexuality, abortion, etc., And it hit me, I was like, wow, this book's done pretty well for student book. And the issues have totally changed completely in 17 years. There was no social media, think about that. And so I also changed from longer chapters to short, quick chapters, addressing 25 of the toughest issues today. Things like immigration, gun control, climate change, transgender. And the goal is to encourage students to be biblically faithful, but find a way to be loving towards their neighbors. So a rebel's manifesto is rather than cancel and shout down and demonize, let's actually be rebels by loving our neighbors, which involves standing firm on truth.
0: Well, amen to that. And one of the things that I do admire about you is your ability to have conversations with people disagree with you. And it sounds like you hit on some of those topics in that book. And so, you know, whether it's having conversations with the progressive Christian Colby Martin, who you've done a couple times on your show, uh, Drew from Genetically Modified Skeptic, John Steingard, you've had a couple conversations with him, uh, Matthew Vines, you've done a great conversation with him, you always do it with grace and truth, and that's one of the things that we're going to continue to talk about on this episode between you and I. So you've you've chosen to dive into some really tough conversations, uh, particularly in hostile places like Berkeley, California. Okay, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek there, but tell us about how you started making evangelistic trips to the Berkeley campus.
1: Well, this idea first came from Jay Warner Wallace, who's a friend of yours, friend of mine, co-author on a book we've written. And it was Brett Kunkel at Maven who first really put these trips together. So probably 15 years ago, he was taking these trips. And I said, hey, will you take some of my high school students, I was teaching high school full-time, on this trip with you? And he planned the trip and he took us. And we brought in at that point uh, a homosexual activist. We brought in a number of atheists. We give the students surveys and send them out on campus to get into spiritual conversations. We've brought in a professor sense. We visited classes, met with Christian groups on campus. The whole idea you might say is to inoculate our students before they get to college, kind of like you know what a vaccine is meant to do. So when they get there and really get challenged maybe by a professor or a classmate or find themselves in a foreign environment, they face this challenge before and know how to respond Christianly. But we've also learned a ton by engaging Berkeley students. And I've taken other trips like this to places like Purdue, Georgia Tech, Brigham Young University. And I found a lot of high school students are not only willing and eager to engage, but the students we engage as a whole are willing to have spiritual conversations if we just approach them in the right way.
0: Well, that's excellent. So maybe uh, since you've done several of these, kind of give us the 40,000-foot overview of your time sharing the gospel on campuses. What, what was the experience like for you, and and has it changed over time? Let's just just kind of give us a broad overview here.
1: Well, I'll never forget the first time we went up to Berkeley, and it is a radical place because we drove up about eight hours from Southern California. And these are like Southern Orange County kids who had, most of them, never been to Berkeley. And at that point, there were people living in trees, in hammocks, because they didn't want the trees to get cut down. So they're pro-choice, but they're willing to lay their lives on the line for trees, And this just kind of rocked our students. And then you'd see these little protests and free speech platforms going on for all sorts of ideas that our students are like, what is going on? So they realized that the world is a lot bigger than they had experienced. And one of the things is we give them surveys and they'll go out on campus for a couple hours. We do this at least twice. And they just ask questions to Berkeley students. We go right to the center square campus. And the questions could be as simple as, Do you think there's a meaning to life? Do you think there's an afterlife? Do you think God exists? Do you think there's such a thing as truth that we can know? And as a whole, some students are too busy. Occasionally they're rude, but almost never. The vast majority will talk, or if they won't, they'll just say, I'm sorry, I don't have time, gotta get to class. What's interesting though, is how many times our students walk away with observations. So here's places like Georgia Tech, one of the leading tech schools, at least in, in, in Georgia and beyond, in Berkeley, one of the leading public schools in the nation. And while you find some smart and savvy students with their faith, most of them kind of have a whateverism. They don't really know. They haven't thought about it a ton. It's not that important to them. And kind of take this relativistic view to faith and religion as a whole. So our students walk away at the end, we debrief it, and they're stunned that these students at such smart universities are really not that savvy about their faith, but that they're also willing to spiritually engage and hear what our students think about Jesus, about the Bible, about the afterlife, the soul, etc.,
0: well, okay, so you shared a few insights. Maybe you can get a little bit more specific. Are there any other insights from conversations that you had that stand out to you, a specific student or specific interaction that you've had? And, and maybe what you or the students that you're with learned, the, the debriefing maybe afterwards or in the bus ride home that people have shared? What What are some stories that you got for us?
1: Well, one of the things I do is when we debrief, we go sit down for about 30, 45 minutes, and I ask the students a lot of questions. I'll say, how many of you got into at least one meaningful spiritual conversation? Every student, every time I've done this, as far as I can remember, have said yes. Always at least one spiritual conversation. That's interesting. And then second, I'll ask, what are the best questions that we ask, get a response to? And actually, one of the best questions that students will say is, something effective if you could ask a christian any question what would it be or if you could ask god any question what would it be and those really generate a lot of uh, discussion and insights for our students we really emphasize to our students we're not going to preach we're not going to share evangelism and there is a time and place to do that in fact just this past week we were in georgia tech and two of our students these are coming in high school freshmen, by the way, who were talking with college students, and they met a student who was an atheist. And when they asked him why, he just didn't have really deep reasons why. And he turns and says, well, what do you believe and why? And they said, Sean, we shared the gospel with this guy. He didn't become a believer right then, but he wanted to know what we believe, what we thought about Jesus, the Christian story, and he was open to it. So that doesn't always happen, but it's amazing how many students, partly today we don't want to offend, we all want to seem open-minded and, you know, this kind of, especially in a place like Berkeley where it's just so to the left, students want to be open-minded so they can't say you're a bigot and shout you down and not listen. They really do actually want to engage. And the other last take that one of my students said this week is they said there's an awful lot of students who just want to be heard. They're busy, they're distracted. There's a lot of people who just want to be heard. So if we as Christians are willing to listen, oftentimes many will say, well, what do you believe? And then we'll have a chance to share.
0: Well, I think that's great advice. I want you to get to some more advice, but before you do, I would love for you, if you can remember, uh, do you remember any of the responses or any of the things that people shared when you asked the students on the campus, if you could ask the Christian one question, what would it be? Or if you could ask God one question, what would it be? What were were kind of a smattering of some of the different uh, responses to that? That's a really interesting question.
1: I would say some of the most common ones are, why is there evil? Why is there bad? Why is there suffering? We shouldn't surprise either one of us. I'm convinced that's the biggest question people ask. So even issues like immigration is about why are people suffering? Questions like gun control. Why are people suffering? How do we fix it? Even the environment is. So that issue comes up a ton. Um, I would also say there's a lot of personal questions. Is there a meaning to life? if God exists, what is his purpose for my life? Those are the two that I remember coming up the most from students related to suffering, pain in the world, whether it's global or their own experience, or uh, related more to do I have a purpose, do I have a meaning, and if so, how do I find it? You know, the other interesting question we asked him is, what would you say is the biggest problem in the world? Because how, what we think the solution is is rooted in what we think the problem is. And just this past week, the, the, what people said was the biggest problem is a, a couple of people said murder. A couple people said just disunity and division. And at least a handful of people said climate change, which totally surprised my students. They're like, climate change is an issue, but the biggest issue in the world? And I point out to them, I said, look, at the heart of all these issues is sin, but it manifests itself in how we do the climate. It manifests itself in how we treat one another. It manifests itself in things like racism.
0: Well, I, I think that's a really interesting question. I, I mean, I have several, several stories that could go with that, but I made the mistake of asking that sort of question in a uh, a youth mm-hmm. forum and just, again, asking their thoughts and, again, si- similar responses. Some of it was education, some of it was racism. Uh, but then the tables were turned on me, and I was. Be- they were like, okay, well, what what would you say? And I said... That abortion, I thought, was the most significant issue that was kind of wow. facing America today. Specifically, that's how we framed the question, <laughs> and the room just blew up. It was, <laughs> we we kind of took a whole other tangent, and that's a, a story for another time. But that's a really great question, and to be able to get those responses. So, um, for first, I want I want you to kind of think about giving some advice to people if they wanted to head out onto their local college campus from someone that has done this several times. What are some things that they need to keep in mind, or maybe what? Should should they do to prepare? I know that you'd mentioned kind of surveys and maybe having a little bit of a plan. Is there anything else that you would just recommend, hey, before you head out to the campus, make sure you do X? What, what would that be?
1: Yeah, if, it, if it's helpful, the last chapter in my book with Jay Werner Wallace is on how to lead these kind of trips. And then at the end in the appendix of our book, so the next generation will know, we have the two conversational surveys that we actually use. So I put that there because so many people said, we want to do this trip. We don't know how. And we want to write down uh, also a lot of mistakes that we've made along the way. And so people can avoid those kinds of mistakes. So I'd say a couple things. I would say just prep students ahead of time. Do some apologetic worldview training. Teach them how to ask good questions. Remind them that this is not about going and preaching. We're just asking questions. Teach them how to listen. And then make sure you put them into pairs to go out together. I would give them no more than two hours. And you give students boundaries, like here's roughly where we're staying within. And then be there with some leaders walking around, just being present, watching. And then if students have questions, they can engage you. And I have to tell students obvious things like don't go in a dorm room. If these are high school students, don't give any personal information out. We're just, and I practice with the students. I'll say, just walk up, to someone say, hi, my name is Sean, I'm visiting your campus. I'm wondering if you could answer some questions today. Most people say yes, and then you just jump into the surveys and start asking questions and you listen. That's it, there's not a ton to it, but I found then we come back immediately and we'll sit under a tree, we'll find a spot on campus, maybe the student union building, and I'll just talk through with them. So tell me about your conversation. Uh, Tell me what you learned. Tell me what questions you asked. Tell me what their worldview was. What surprised you in this conversation? And we just debrief it together and students consistently have a great time.
0: So so another kind of a little bit off the wall question here, do you find from your experience that they learned more from having the interaction with the person? Or do you think that the person that they were talking to uh, kind of learned a little bit about themselves and their understanding of the world? So maybe who do you think was more impacted, the students that were asking the questions or the students that were being asked the question?
1: It's really hard to tell because I get to debrief with our students and I see the impact on them, but I only get to see the other students if I'm walking around looking at them or hearing from our students. So here's an example where you really don't know what kind of impact we're having. There's probably a lot of students who just have that conversation, move on, and don't think twice about it, but there's probably a lot of students who will think, I've never been asked that question before. I don't know about this. And that's one thing our students will say regularly is they'll say they really listened. They were willing to engage and have a conversation. Many times students will go out and have one conversation the entire time, (laughs) the entire time. So that's where a little bit of faith comes in. Uh, but I hear enough from our students of comments of people saying things like, I don't know. I got to think about that more. Haven't really thought about that thanks for listening, that I know we're having at least some impact.
0: Yeah, no, that's excellent. And and like you, I've gone out onto the campus. I've worked on college campuses as a supported missionary for several years. And so this is you know, common territory, I think for me. And uh, man, I just love what you guys are doing. I wanna turn a a little bit in our conversation to kind of the the campus environment to some of the other conversations that I mentioned earlier with John Steingard and with Matthew Vines in just a second. But uh, before we get there, I just wanna remind our audience that we are trying to reach 100,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel uh, before the end of 2022. So if you are checking out this video on our YouTube channel, please subscribe. If you're listening to us on K-Wave on the radio, please head over to youtube.com slash one minute apologist, Subscribe, like this video. There's a whole playlist of unapologetic shows that we would invite you to check out. So uh, Sean, let's talk a little bit about, again, you've had several of these, you know, really, I would say high profile conversations with people, both on your YouTube channel and in person. How do you prepare for a conversation Mm -hmm. with those that you disagree? Some of the people that I, I was mentioning earlier, what is kind of your process? What is your thought process? How do you go through preparing for that kind of conversation?
1: Well, obviously it's different than a debate. So I posted a debate just a couple weeks ago that I had about 12 years ago. And that debate took me months to prep because it's public, you have limited time, you're kind of trying to win in a certain sense. I don't do those kinds of debates anymore. Uh, I enjoy it on one level, but I think today in our us versus them divided culture, there's something just more powerful about sitting down in a conversation and listening to somebody. So what I do is I just I look for somebody who I think is going to have a cordial, thoughtful conversation, somebody who's going to listen, uh, and somebody who sees the world very differently. And then I'll just watch some of their videos, I'll read some of their stuff, just get a sense of who they are, and really try to think through what are helpful, interesting questions that can unlock understanding this person's worldview. Now, my goal in these is not to convert the person that's actually not my goal. my goal is something my dad said to me years ago he said son it's more important to understand than to be understood. it's more important to understand than to be understood so I think through you know the Bible has a ton to say as well about listening before you speak so I just more than anything I want clarity what this person believes, why they believe it, where we have common ground and where we differ so, That's really it. It's not that hard. If you have a heart to just listen and understand people and realize that one of the best ways to love people is just to listen to them, then I think anybody can have these kind of conversations. And partly what I'm doing on my channel is just modeling for people how to do this. That's my hope. I have a ton of people who said, hey, we watched your conversation with New Ager, with a progressive Christian, with an atheist. And we realized we can do this too and then they'll go out and do it. That's my whole goal. So I don't feel like I have to know everything about somebody's viewpoint, because I'm not there to win. I'm not there to prove them wrong. I'm just there to understand.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes sense. So maybe I think a really helpful thing to understand um, when you're in a conversation. You said that some of your students had like you know multiple hour conversations. They only had one conversation when they went out for several hours. Think back. How do you know when to kind of end the conversation? What are some telltale signs that like this person's maybe getting uncomfortable, or maybe we've kind of hit a wall of you know understanding? What, what, what do you look for to know when to be done and kind of walk away from a conversation like that?
1: You know some of this is just intuitive Tim like if somebody's giving short abrupt questions and they're looking at their clock like that's not even intuitive that's just obvious <laughs> right, the right. person is done if somebody's getting really defensive and testy and I start to realize oh this conversation is not fruitful that's a time to end so i just watch the person's body language i look at how engaged they are and see if they want to have conversation so we're knocking on doors at b at BYU this is probably five or six years ago. And these two college students answered. And I asked him if they'd be willing to answer some questions. The guy goes, well, I'm just, I don't really have, have time right now. I said, okay, that's understandable. Can I just ask you one question? Are you a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Yes. I said, do you have time to tell me about your mission? Well, he launched into this whole thing about his mission because that's something he wanted to talk about. And then we probably had an hour and a half conversation. We turned it to Jesus the issue of grace and had a great conversation. So when people say they don't have time, it doesn't always mean they don't have time, but I also wanna be careful and not force something if they really don't have time. So just put yourself in the other person's position and think, okay, you know, I'm gonna watch them the way I would want somebody to watch me and see if I'm really engaged or not. And then end it the last thing i want to do is force a conversation about jesus and then somebody walks away and is like guy that wasn't a fun experience leaves a sour aftertaste with Christians, which
0: defeats the whole purpose. Exactly. Well, and again, you, you kind of mentioned this, you're great at just kind of understanding the, the situation and what's going on, but are you ever nervous or kind of afraid about offending someone? I mean, in our culture, our, our, our cult culture today, you have microaggressions, you know, you could say the wrong thing and kind of set people off. Uh, does that, has that ever cross your mind or what do you do to kind of avoid offending somebody just with your questions?
1: It actually crosses my mind a lot. Not only do I not want to offend somebody, I don't want to say something the wrong way that somebody can make a four second clip out of go viral and then just result in people trying to cancel me. That's, I hate to say it, that's a legitimate fear that crosses my mind. So I do a couple of things. Number one, I I slow down when I speak and try to really think about what I'm saying. Rather than just blurt it out, I slow down and I'm methodical. Uh, The other thing that I'll do is I will just, I'll try to ask the question as charitably as I can. So I've asked people questions, I say, so here's a question that comes to my mind and tell me if this is a fair way to raise this question. If I don't get at it correctly, feel free to correct the question and jump in and answer it as you might. Then I've kind of prepped saying, I'm doing my best here. I'm trying. I might not know exactly how to ask this question, But here's a question somebody might ask. The other thing is, if I have a question, sometimes I'll just say, you know, I've heard other people ask this question, which is true. I wouldn't lie and say that if it's not the case. But I'm just going to say, here's what somebody else might be wondering, or here's what I've heard other people say. So you can just kind of deflect a little bit. It's sad that we have to do this, but, you know, I just, I don't want to offend people. And I don't want... I also think about this, Tim. Sometimes in a conversation, one little comment can get all the attention and sidetrack from the whole goal of the bigger conversation. I've had some conversations, so my guests have said one or two things that they really didn't need to say. It wasn't relevant to the topic at hand, and it distracted the entire conversation. So I try to keep the conversation focused, not take side issues and keep the main thing, the main thing. But I also think, you know, what if I just, if I love my guest and I'm charitable towards them, they're going to have grace. If maybe my question or my comment isn't as smooth as it could be. So bottom line is just ask, how do I love this guest? How do I be curious about them? And then a lot of that fear of saying the wrong thing and be canceled tends to go away.
0: Okay. So, Man, Sean, you have given us some really great insights, some things that we really need to keep in mind as we're having these conversations. I'm going to pepper you with this one last question. we got about a minute left, Uh, specifically on your channel, because you have a great YouTube channel. You have over 100,000 subscribers on your channel. You've been doing excellent work. Can you think back to your favorite conversation that you've had with somebody on your channel that people just need to go check out?
1: Hands down, interview of my father. It's called Untold Stories from Josh McDowell. My dad is a modern-day Paul. Stories of him debating Marxists, being thrown in prison, uh, uh, the people that he's met, the miracles that he's seen. Uh, It really is one of the most inspiring and fascinating articles. I kind of did it for my own kids because I want all these stories of my dad up there. But people still watch that and are like, wow, I was so encouraged and inspired. So if you just search my channel, Untold Stories, about Josh McDowell, it'll pop up.
0: Fantastic. Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to sending people over to your YouTube channel where they can find that conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. You bet. Well, we hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Sean McDowell. And we hope that you check out his YouTube channel. And with that, we will meet you next time on The Unapologetic Show. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the One Minute Apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel, where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at one minute apologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.